0: Sunk in their pneumatic stalls, Lenina and the savage sniffed as the scent organ played a delightfully refreshing herbal capriccio, rippling arpeggios of thyme and lavender, rosemary and basil. A final blast of myrtle died away. There was a round of applause. It was now the turn for eyes and skin. The house lights went down. Take hold of those metal knobs on the arms of your chair, whispered Lenina. Otherwise you won't get any of the feely effects. There were ten seconds of complete darkness. Then suddenly... Incomparably more solid-looking than they'd have seemed in flesh and blood, there stood, locked in one another's arms, the stereoscopic images of a muscular black man and a golden-haired female. The savage started. That sensation on his lips. He lifted a hand to his mouth. The titillation ceased. He let his hand fall back on the metal knob. It began again. The scent organ, meanwhile breathed pure musk. Expiringly, the soundtrack cooed, ooh, and a deep bass answered, ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah. The stereoscopic lips came together again, and once more the facial erogenous zones of the 6,000 spectators in the Alhambra tingled with almost intolerable pleasure. The plot of the film was extremely simple. A few minutes after the first oohs and ahs, love was made on a bearskin, every hair of which could be separately and distinctly felt. Shortly afterwards, the leading man had a helicopter accident, fell on his head. Thump! What a twinge through the forehead. A chorus of ows and eyes went up from the audience. The concussion knocked all his conditioning into a cocked hat, he developed for the blonde a maniacal passion. There were struggles, pursuits, finally a sensational kidnapping. The blonde was ravished away into the sky and kept there hovering for three weeks. Finally, after much aerial acrobacy, three handsome young alphas succeeded in rescuing her. The villain was packed off to an adult reconditioning centre and the film ended happily and decorously with the blonde becoming the mistress of all her three rescuers. The bearskin... Made its final appearance. Then, amid a blare of saxophones, the last stereoscopic kiss faded, and the last electric titillation died on the lips like a dying moth. But for Lenina, the moth didn't completely die. While they were shuffling along with the crowd towards the lifts, she caught hold of the savage's arm and pressed it. He looked down at her for a moment, pale. "'pained, desiring, and ashamed of his desire. "'I don't think you ought to see things like that horrible film.' "'Horrible? But I thought it was lovely. "'It was base. It was ignoble.' "'She shook her head. (laughs) "'I don't know what you mean.' "'The taxicopter landed on the roof of Lenina's apartment house.' At last, she thought, as she stepped out of the cab. He's terribly good-looking. No need for him to be shy like Bernard. Well, now at last. Good night, Lenina, said a voice behind her. She wheeled round. He was still in the cab. But, John, I I thought you were... I mean, aren't you... He shut the door, and the cab shot up into the air. Five minutes later, he was back in his room. From its hiding place, he took out his mouse-nibbled volume, turned its stained pages with religious care, and began to read Othello. Othello, he remembered, was like the hero of three weeks in a helicopter, a black man. Drying her eyes, Lenina walked across the roof to the lift. On her way down to the 27th floor, she pulled out her Soma bottle... One gram she decided would not be enough. Hers had been more than a one gram affliction. But if she took two grams, she ran the risk of not waking up in time tomorrow morning. She compromised, and into her cupped left palm shook out three half gram tablets. Bernard had to shout through the locked door. The savage wouldn't open. But everyone's there waiting for you. Let them wait. But you know quite well, John, I asked them on purpose to meet you. You ought to have asked me first whether I wanted to meet them. But you always came before, John. That's precisely why I don't want to come again. In the end, Bernard had to slink back, diminished, to his rooms and inform the impatient assembly that the savage would not be appearing that evening. The news was received with indignation. The men were furious at having been tricked into behaving politely to this insignificant fellow with the unsavoury reputation and the heretical opinions. The higher their position in the hierarchy, the deeper their resentment. As for the women, they indignantly felt that they'd been had on false pretenses, had by a wretched little man who'd had alcohol poured into his bottle by mistake, by a creature with a gamma minus physique, It was an outrage, and they said so, more and more loudly. Lenina alone said nothing. Pale, her blue eyes clouded with an unwanted melancholy, she sat in a corner. In a few minutes I'll be seeing him, telling him, for she'd come with her mind made up, that I like him more than anybody I've ever known, and then perhaps he'll say... What would he say? The blood had rushed to her cheeks. Why was he so strange the other night after the feelies? And yet I'm absolutely sure he really does like me. It was at this moment that Bernard had made his announcement. The savage wasn't coming to the party. Lenina suddenly felt all the sensations normally experienced at the beginning of a violent passion surrogate treatment. John had refused to come because he didn't like her. Too bad... "'said Henry Foster, sympathising with the arch-community songster. "'It may interest you to know "'that our ex-director was on the point of transferring him to Iceland.' "'And now, my friends,' said the arch-community songster of Canterbury, "'I think perhaps the time has come.' "'He rose, put down his glass, "'brushed from his purple viscose waistcoat "'the crumbs of a considerable collation, "'and walked towards the door.' Lenina, my dear, he called. Come with me. Obediently, but unsmiling and wholly insensible of the honour done to her, Lenina walked after him out of the room. The other guests followed at a respectful interval. The last of them slammed the door. Bernard was alone. Utterly deflated, he dropped into a chair and, covering his face with his hands, began to weep. A few minutes later, however, he thought better of it and took four tablets of Soma. Upstairs in his room, the savage was reading Romeo and Juliet. With closed eyes, his face shining with rapture, he began to declaim to vacancy. Oh, she doth teach the torches to burn bright. It seems she hangs upon the cheek of night. "'like a rich jewel in an Ethiop's ear, "'beauty too rich for use for earth too dear.' "'Next morning, the savage showed himself "'unexpectedly sympathetic to the newly deflated Bernard. "'You're more like you were at Malpey,' he said, "'when Bernard had told him his plaintive story.' Remember when we first talked together outside the little house? You're like what you were then. Because I'm unhappy again, that's why. Well, I'd rather be unhappy than have the sort of false lying happiness you are having here. Bernard's other victim friend was Helmholtz. When discomforted, he came and asked once more... For the friendship which in his prosperity he hadn't thought it worth his while to preserve, Helmholtz gave it. Touched, Bernard felt himself at the same time humiliated by this magnanimity, which owed nothing to Soma and everything to Helmholtz's character. Helmholtz and the savage took to one another at once, so cordially indeed, that Bernard felt a sharp pang of jealousy. He was ashamed of his jealousy and alternately made efforts of will and took Soma to keep himself from feeling it. The efforts weren't very successful. At his third meeting with the savage, Helmholtz recited some rhymes he'd composed on the subject of solitude, verses which had resulted in a severe reprimand from the authorities. "'What do you think of them?' he asked when he'd done. The savage shook his head. Unlocking the drawer in which he kept his mouse-eaten book, he opened and read, Let the bird of loudest lay on the sole Arabian tree, herald sad and trumpet be. Helmholtz listened with a growing excitement. At sole Arabian tree he started. At thou shrieking harbinger he smiled with sudden pleasure. At... Every fowl of tyrant wing, the blood rushed up into his cheeks. But at defunctive music, he turned pale and trembled with an unprecedented emotion. "'Orgy, porgy,' said Bernard. "'It's just a solidarity service hymn.' In the course of their next two or three meetings, he frequently repeated this little act of vengeance— It was simple, and since both Helmholtz and the savage were dreadfully pained by the shattering of a favourite poetic crystal, extremely effective. In the end, Helmholtz threatened to kick him out of the room if he dared to interrupt again. And yet, strangely enough, the next interruption, the most disgraceful of all, came from Helmholtz himself. The savage was reading Romeo and Juliet aloud, reading for all the time he was seeing himself as Romeo and Lenina as Juliet, with an intense and quivering passion. All went tolerably well until Capulet and Lady Capulet began to bully Juliet to marry Paris. Helmholtz had been restless throughout the scene, then Juliet cried out, Is there no pity sitting in the clouds that sees into the bottom of my grief? Oh, sweet, my mother, cast me not away. Delay this marriage for a month, a week, or if you do not make the bridal bed in that dim monument where Tybalt lies. At this, Helmholtz broke out in an explosion of uncontrollable guffawing. The mother and father grotesque obscenity, forcing the daughter to have someone she didn't want, and the idiotic girl not saying that she was having someone else, whom, for the moment at any rate, she preferred. In its smutty absurdity, the situation was comical. As for sweet mother, and the reference to Tybalt lying dead but evidently uncremated and wasting his phosphorus on a dim monument were too much for him. And yet said Helmholtz when he'd recovered breath enough to apologise. I know quite well that one needs ridiculous, mad situations like that. One can't write really well about anything else. But fathers and mothers? You can't expect me to keep a straight face about (laughs) fathers and mothers. And who's going to get excited about a boy having a girl or not having her? No, it won't do. We need some other kind of madness and violence. But what? What?